University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 31. Now, for the last several weeks, we have been focusing on the peculiarities of UBC. Uh, We strive to think critically, to live creatively, to love continually. Um, This makes us unique, makes us quite peculiar. Last week, we started looking at what it means to love continually by looking at the fact that Jesus touched the life of a leper literally reached out and touched a man, breaking all social and religious barriers to do so. And I'd like for us to take that concept a bit deeper this morning. And our text this morning is is a difficult one. There's a lot of tremendous theological implications here. The cosmic scene we enter into is the parousia. It's the arrival of all of humanity being brought before God in the age to come. And there's two essential things from the text that we need to understand before we dive into the reading. The first thing is that Jesus uses uh, several terms, uh, a key term one time, uh, multiple times. He he uses this term dikaios. This is term often translated righteousness, but it also means those who are just. So Jesus is going to talk about those who are just and those who are unjust. And the second thing we need to read from the text is, this isn't a parable. Jesus doesn't begin this by saying the kingdom of God is like. So therefore this makes this text even more difficult as we chew through it. Matthew chapter 25 verse 31. It's kind of lengthy, but hang with it. When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit at his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come to me, all who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a foreign stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a foreign stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a foreign stranger, and you invited me in, did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or foreign stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So let's get a couple things straight from the text. 
Jesus was the guy experiencing homelessness at the corner of corporate and college drive, the person oppressed by an economics system, the convicted felon at the correctional center near St. Gabriel, the family fallen on hard times asking for food that we passed on our way to Leeward Drive this morning. Yep, well that's according to the Son of God, but what kind of weight does he carry? (laughs) Jesus said that when you see someone hungry, thirsty, in need of clothes and shelter, in prison, you are in fact looking at God. What Jesus teaches us from this text is that when we welcome or reject someone, you are in fact welcoming or rejecting the divine. Moreover, when you look into the eyes of another person, you are looking into the eyes of God. The people we encounter each and every single day are not just happenstance. They are, in fact, opportunities to look into the eyes of God. Do you see the divine in others? In the spring of of 2014, residents at a well-off neighborhood in Davidson, North Carolina, not far from where we lived, um, were kind of in an uproar. Uh, This woman called the police because she saw a homeless man sleeping on the bench in their well-to-do neighborhood. Except when the police arrived, they were a little thrown off guard because the man sleeping on the bench was made of bronze. It was a statue. And it wasn't just a statue, it was Jesus. Jesus was presented as a homeless man sleeping on a bench. The only way you were able to identify it as Christ because his face and his hands were covered were the wounds from the nails in his feet. This was placed here by the St. Alban Episcopal Church. Intentionally, Jesus is huddled under a blanket. The reaction was immediate. Some loved it, some didn't. Everyone's an art critic, I guess. See, one thing that this text charges us, one thing that this text brings into view is the complexity of Jesus' invitation. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to live into the way of Jesus. According to Jesus, we are called to live lives of radical hospitality and compassion towards others. But then again, Jesus did say that loving our neighbor is just as important as loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You cannot separate the way of Jesus from the invitation of Jesus. You cannot have eternal life if we're not willing to live into the way of the one we claim to have faith in. Jesus' invitation is for all who will come and follow him, not just in belief, but in his way, in his life, in his teaching, in his ministry, in his death and resurrection. We cannot merely pick and choose from the comfortable parts of Jesus and throw away and the things that don't fit into our world view. Did you notice that Jesus didn't give or hear any of the excuses of the goats? When they started to, to give all the reasons of why they didn't care for other people, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, the naked, the foreign stranger, Jesus simply said, Go away from me. For whatever you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do for me. You know, in the Gospels, after Jesus uttered the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus didn't pause and then say, okay, that sounds a little difficult. 
So I'll make a deal with you. Uh, some of you love those who are really easy to love. Some, I want you to love those that are difficult to love. Some, I just want you all to live flat-out lives of discrimination and fear. Others, I want you to love those who fit into your national persuasion. Some of y'all, well, let's just be honest, I want you to lead angry, bitter, and grudge-filled lives. Now, y'all remember that I didn't sacrifice anything for all of this. I'm not going to die on the cross for all of you. You see, the invitation of Jesus is not a yeah, but... It's not an excuse here, a reason give there. It's an invitation into full life in Christ. But what happens when this call of Jesus to live a life of justice and compassion encounters people that may not economically or in hunger and thirst and nakedness and relationalness or thirstiness and helplessness or hurting fit into our worldview? What happens when we see people who look just like us? They, aren't, uh, they are people filled with privilege, the best clothes, the best houses, the best bank accounts and cars and stuff, but they are inwardly suffering. Do we have compassion for them? What happens when we see others that are nothing like us? What happens when this call of Jesus to live a life of justice and compassion encounters people from different borders, ethnicities, political perspectives, and religious practices. Do we truly see others? In November of 2095, Pope Urban II addressed a peace council in France. And from his letters, we infer that he beseeched the Christians to stop attacking and fighting each other and instead, quote, fight the enemies of God. And he told them that they needed to go and liberate their Eastern Christian brethren from the tyranny and oppression of the Turks. And the ultimate goal was Jerusalem and liberation. And in this way, quote, God would bring peace on earth. He said this would be an act of love, laying down one's life for their Eastern brethren. In addition, Urban promised that their sins would be forgiven if they go and kill the Turks. Never mind that this was a political move for him to gain control and unify Europe all under his power through the proclamation of the church. With this act, he diluted the power of the kings to give him supreme power over all the people. He called this the Crusades, a religious pilgrimage. And he told them that they were taking up their cross to follow Jesus. He even told them to to paint the cross on their shield and stitch it to the backs of their clothes. And in 1096 AD, 8,000 Jews were slaughtered by the crusaders on their way to Jerusalem. These crusaders believed that they first must take down those that killed Christ before they first get to the Holy Land. And this feeling of anti-Semitism would reign in Europe for the next 10 centuries. Their wars were bathed in religious banter. While they were marching from city to city, from battle to battle, priests would pray over their acts. Urban's proclamation would lead to the deaths of incalculable amounts of Europeans and Christians and Muslims and Jews, soldiers, men, women, and children. The death and carnage is unthinkable. All in the name of what? Of Christ. When we hear this part of our history, our stomachs churn with, with disgust. However, no matter where we have come from, 
We are connected with a culture that is a very unfortunate history of evolving othering. Othering is an action by which an individual or group becomes mentally classified by somebody else as not one of us. You are not part of us. You are something wholly other than us. Rather than always remembering that each person is unique and distinct, we want to put people into a certain category, fit them into a certain label that fits into our worldview. This rears its head in racism and discrimination, homophobia and xenophobia, misogyny and ageism. In Jesus' day, the Jews despised the Samaritans, who were considered to be half-breeds. Don't forget that they also loathed the Gentiles and non-Jews. To the Romans, Jews were inferior. This included the barbarian foes. To the empires of Asia and South America and Africa can be said that they had nominal territories where they despised certain groups of people. Of course, in our history as a people, we look at the treatment of Native Americans and African Americans. This has welled within us a sense of superiority In the most recent years, we would say that this has gone to the side, but it's reared its head in new forms. And our recent history has proven that whether we realize it or not, we draw borders for our compassion, borders for the gospel. We have drawn a line between who is in and who is out. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture um, as Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. Do you remember this story? I love this story because this raging storm comes and the disciples are, like, terrified. I'm sure one of them probably peed in their pants. I mean, they were that scared of what was happening in this moment. And it says, what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the bow of the boat. And their fear and their terror awake Jesus. Jesus gets up, he calms the storm, he calls out the lack of faith of the disciples, but that's not where the story ends. You see, the story ends with them crossing to the other side of the sea, the region of the Gentiles, these these half-breeds, these people who were not part of the Jews. Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man. He casts the demon out of him. He transforms the man's life. He commissions him to go and preach the good news to his town. Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat and they go back to the other side of the sea. All of this for one outsider. You see, this encounter with the region of the Gerasenes, Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, the Seraphonician woman, the various Gentiles' encounters of the Gospels teach us something very profound. The Gospel is without borders. In Jesus, there was no Jew or Greek. There was no male or female. There was no slave or free. Race, nationality, religious practice, marital status, social construct, history of mistakes, economic status, gender identity, sexual orientation, physical or mental ability, political stance or theological perspectives. How many times has Jesus stepped over the boundaries that we create in this world for the sake of compassion? But do we seek justice and compassion for those who don't look like us, talk like us, believe like us? As followers of Jesus, we have become too accustomed with separating the teachings of Jesus from our way of life. We have watered down the gospel to a commodity that works in our favor when we want God to to bolster and promote our life decisions, but that is not the way of Christ. 
The way of Jesus is this radical message of compassion and hope for all people. The call of Jesus from our text is a call to love and seek justice for our neighbor, even if our neighbor is foreign to us. Did you catch that message in the text? Jesus uses the word for foreign stranger, you invited me in. Jesus uses the word xenos, which means foreigner. Yet this is nothing new that Jesus is teaching on. The Bible itself embraces this idea of having compassion for the foreigner among us. Leviticus 19, 33-34, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you, you must treat as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were a foreigner in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So when Jesus calls us to love the foreigner, the stranger, the immigrant, how does that fit into our worldview? Does our worldview shape our theology, or does our theology shape our worldview? This coming Sunday, August the 12th, we'll make one year since the events of Charlottesville, Virginia. If you recall, this alt-right movement made Charlottesville the center of the protest over Robert E. Lee's statue. This immediately erupted into uh, the brandishment of signs and screamed unbelievable racial and ethnic and misogynistic phrases. They carried Nazi flags. And on Friday and Saturday of last year, they were met with counter-protesters, some clergy, Verbal and physical clashes broke out among protesting sides. Police and state officials were brought in. And on August the 12th, a young man drove his Dodge Challenger into the counter-protesters, killing one woman and injuring dozens others. And for most Americans, we began to forget about this incident within a week after the major news outlets stopped covering it. But it still doesn't change the fact that As much as things change, they really do stay the same. We live in a world full of fear and hatred, violence, racism, bigotry, and disregard for others. So how do we respond when we see these things happening in our world? How do we as a people of God come around such things? Do we simply offer a word of prayer and then move on with our lives, or do we live fully into the way of Jesus that invites us to encounter such things that we see every single day of our lives, choosing compassion instead of hatred, choosing hope instead of fear? I'm a firm believer that a life would be better if every day we all stopped for 30 minutes and had recess. Recess was my favorite subject in school. I excelled in recess. It was excellent. What better time than breaking the mundane of everyday life than at 1 o'clock we all went and swung on the monkey bars. That would be a great day. Thoughts about the playground bring back these haunting memories from my childhood. I remember in second grade, there was a game we played on the playground called Tammy Crocker Germs. Basically, it was a game of tag, and if you were tagged, you were said that you had Tammy Crocker Germs. Tammy was an unpopular, overweight, and Coke bottle glass-wearing girl in our classroom. Over 25 years later, when I hear the word germ, I associate it with that game. You see, the way that we look at people and the way that we call other people matters. 
I think this is in route of Jesus' message here in Matthew 25. When he says, I want you to see the homeless guy, the refugee, the prisoner, and those that don't look like you, I want you to see that it is in fact me. Not a stranger, not other, not someone different from you. I want you to see me. The way that we look at others, that the way that we talk about others, it matters. If you look at others as illegal, as enemy, as undocumented, as unauthorized, or as a potential threat, you will never see Jesus in them. If you look at someone and all you see is their color, their ethnicity, their social or economic status, their religion or political persuasion, or their sexuality, you will never see Christ in them. When we truly follow Jesus, then daily we are growing in the love of God that transforms our eyes to see people differently, not as foreigner, but as a child of God, not as different, but as a beloved child of God. To live fully into the way of Jesus, then we must live a life of radical hospitality and compassion. So consider what part you can play. What part you can begin to do today to be a person of compassion? This will require more of our time and our availability. The greatest enemy of Jesus' followers in the 21st century is our busyness. We are too busy with our lives to see others. We are too busy in our lives to stop and consider how we might help those in need, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So when you hear me talk about time and availability, the first thing I want you to think is you need to allow your time to be bathed in the divine, blessed and transformed by God to make yourself wholly available to others. Sometimes it's as simple as stopping and listening to the story of the coworker who clearly is having a horrible day. Instead of driving past that guy at Walmart asking for food, what would happen if you just rolled down your window and gave him the groceries you just bought? Or started keeping perishable food and non-perishable food in your car so that you have something to give that person in need. But beyond this, the call of Christ is to look beyond ourselves, look beyond our availability, look beyond our worldview to begin to see others as Christ. This means we open our tables, we open our homes to be agents of radical hospitality to those who are hungry, thirsty, in need of shelter and clothes. These might seem like simple and insignificant things against the tide of injustice, but the road to the future is laid one brick at a time. If this text, this conversation is unsettling, then I invite you to embrace it. It is because I love you that I want us to have meaningful conversations that might challenge us, offend us, and compel us to rethink and reconsider and reevaluate our journey with Jesus. For I was hungry, thirsty, sick, and in prison. I was a foreign stranger who looked very different than you, and you, well, you fill in the blank of what comes next. Let's pray together.